Race matters. 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 As always, we'd like to start the afternoon acknowledging the Gadigal peoples whose land FBI Radio broadcasts on and pay my respects to Gadigal elders past, present and emerging. The Gadigal peoples have been part of this land uh, and waterways for 80,000 years before us and will be here for a long time after us. We are so grateful to have the privilege of sharing stories, sharing knowledge, sharing song from a place of strength, resistance and refuge right here in Redfern. My name is Darren Lasagas. And I'm Georgia Mokak. Um, we're super excited to have Sumin Shim join us on Race Matters this afternoon to have a chat about the lack of representation and accessibility for people of colour in arts writing and criticism. Sumin is a Sydney-based artist, arts writer and arts worker, a director of First Draft Gallery and studio resident at 4A Centre for Contemporary Asian Art Creative Studios. Woo! Uh, She's also written for several Australian and international publications, including Art and the Public Sphere, Art Asia Pacific, The Artling, Art and Australia, Art Almanac, Artist Profile, Runway Conversations, Unextended and Running Dog. Man, I didn't notice how many publications had the word art in them. It's not clear enough, eh? What do they write about, I wonder? (sighs) Uh. Uh, She's got a wealth of knowledge uh, and experience and we're really excited to have it in. Let's play a track before we get Sumin in for a chat. This is Shoko with Wing Wing and you're listening to Race Matters on FBI 94.5. Do, 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 do
비틀비틀 걸어가는 나의 다리 오늘도 의미 없는 또 하루가 흘러가죠 사랑도 끼리끼리 하는 거라 믿는 나는 좀처럼 두근두근 거릴 일이 전혀 하루살이도 저량은 나를 비웃듯이 멀리 날아가죠 돌아가는 세상도 나를 비웃듯이 계속 꿈틀대죠 You're listening to Race Matters on FBI Radio 94.5 and we're joined here in the studio with arts writer and arts worker Sue Min Shim. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me today. Thanks for coming in. Um, you selected that track that just played. Can you tell us a little bit why? Um, so the artist Hyogo, he's uh, seen as sort of the face of the Korean indie music scene and I chose it deliberately, I guess, because uh, with the rise of K-pop, especially. Um, a lot of people see Korea as this very, um, I think, um, one-faceted, singular thing. And K-pop has actually got a long history that's tied to a really dark past in terms of um, exporting um, a national image, um, Korea getting a lot of cultural currency, which can be kind of negative. And so I wanted to show people a different side of Korea that they might not be too familiar with, um, especially because Blackpink had a concert on Saturday True. night. Yeah. Did you go? No, I didn't. Okay. It um, looked, from what I saw, wild. Yeah, it looked <laughs> packed out. And uh, I think there has to be more conversations about, mm. you know, like Korea's national identity and mm. I guess... East Asian national identity mm. generally because they have so much power and influence now. It's a bit scary. <laughs> yeah. That's why I chose that track. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I guess to begin with as well, can you tell us a little bit about what your creative practice is? A bit of context about what we're going to go into. Yeah. So um, I am an arts writer. I <clears throat> come mostly from an art history background. <laughs> Uh, which kind of messed me up in a lot of ways mm. because it was I did it at Sydney Uni, which was quite conservative, and I feel like all universities in Australia are still quite conservative. Mm. Um, and so my writing, I guess, is about trying to push back against that education I received and have more um, voices from people of colour in the art history field. Uh, so I mostly write reviews, critical essays, and yeah, just respond to the art in the Sydney scene. Uh, in a lot of your writing, you come back to Homi Baba uh, and the term that they've created called third space. For those of us who aren't familiar, uh, who is Homi Baba and, and what do you mean by third space? Uh, so he was a he is a cultural theorist and uh, very much cited in the studies of diaspora. So the third space being, you know, for me, for example, um, you know, being Korean Australian, not quite Korean, not quite Australian. So being that third category of Korean Australian. Um, and as we discussed before this segment, I was on Race Matters uh, last year around this time with Tanya Ali. And yeah. at that time, I had really advocated for the third space and it is important. But I think I've now come to a more complex understanding mm. of the third space. And... Um, I think that even that idea of the third space, there needs to be more fracturing within that. So uh, recently I looked into James Nguyen's practice and he sort of talks about how as a Vietnamese Australian, um, th there's that binary of like just being, you know, white versus the other. 
but even within Asia, there needs to be so much more conversations. So I think the third space for me now represents just anything that isn't talked about in a binary, simple sense. I don't know if that made sense, but yeah. (laughs) No, totally. I mean, the whole idea of intersectionality is that there are multiplicity of experiences. Uh, I identify with the the third space and, you know, yeah, it is fracturing because, yeah, I'm Filipino, Australian. I'm also queer. Like, that is an experience that doesn't resonate with a lot of other Filipino Australians. And then you have, like, you know, East Asian versus Southeast Asian, you know, brown Asians. Oh, man. Um, Yeah, that subtle Asian traits Mm -hmm. thing that's been coming up with um, just East Asians never really talking about colorism and anti-blackness and this whole idea of community, like people of color community, I think really needs to be interrogated because, you know, are we really community if we're not talking about the hierarchies of power within our own community? Um, And I think that needs to happen in the third space. And I think that's exciting. Like we've gotten to a point where we can be more sophisticated about what the third space means. Uh, Bringing it back to your writing uh, and the spaces that you write about, I feel like the area or the space between mainstream commercial galleries and other more independent and artist-run spaces is widening. How do art journals and art publications perpetuate that divide? (laughs) Oh, they are very much part of the problem. Like the arts world is an ecology, you know, art, I think it's easy to see the art world just as the artists, but it never is. I think often artists are the face of so much deeper crap that happens behind the scenes which is why we need more writers of color we need more curators of color we need the whole marketing team to be people of color Mm. it can't just be the artists because then they get you know tokenized and they just become the facade of you know all the worst crap (laughs) behind Mm. the scenes um it's interesting because as a freelance writer when i pitch um a, a review about a place or a show often if it's an artist-run space or a smaller space, it can be rejected a lot of the times. And it's because publications have this sort of, I guess, deal with institutions where, um, you know, it's like the powerful help the powerful, Mm. essentially. Um, So I guess for freelance writers, we are at the bottom of the hierarchy, but it is unfortunate that we have the burden burden of trying to push for more... I guess, artist-run spaces to be written about and talked about. Yeah. Um, on that note, what do you think needs to happen for the balance of coverage and representation in art media for these spaces to change? Uh, I think it has to be institutional. Um, again, you know, the power structures that we see in galleries are replicated in publications as well. So, mm. you know... An editor, which is basically like a curator or a director, will be like, oh, our team's not diverse. Let's get a person of colour who is a freelance writer to write a piece this month and then we'll publish it. And that's the quota box ticked. Yay, KPIs. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) KPIs. So unless um, editors are people of colour and actually dedicated to restructuring the whole thing and also just taking more artistic risks in terms of, you know, getting writers who don't talk in art speak you know, who don't use the buzzwords, mm. nothing's going to change. What What do they think the risk is? Um, Probably that they'll lose funding and money. Mm. And 
um, I've told Georgia this before, but I see arts writing as this dense lasagna <laughs> of inaccessibility because it's not only the arts world, which is really white, but it's the writing world, which mm. is inherently white because you have to write in English, right? And then it's the media world. So the media world controls a lot of publications. So the ads that they get, which are mostly from big commercial galleries, so they are run by money. So And they're being targeted to people with money. Mm. Exactly. Which is exactly. another accessibility point that's being rejected from a large part of our communities. Exactly. So <laughs> I don't know how to get rid of this lasagna. Um, <laughs> trying to cut into it. Get a knife the and take a knife to it. <laughs> yeah. Expose it. <laughs> It's very crispy at the top. I don't know what to do. Are the editors the bechamel sauce? <laughs> um, yeah, they're a bit Yum. bland, yeah. <laughs> More spicy lasagna needed. Uh, zoom in. what are then uh, some of the spaces you think should be getting more representation in, in art discourse mm. in Sydney? Mm, that's a good question. I think there are a lot of um, spaces that are opening up that aren't... Um, in galleries. So Desire Lines, which is a curatorial duo, um, they deliberately take exhibitions outside of the gallery. So they've done cake <laughs> cake competitions. Okay. Yeah, I know, I know. It's it's everyone has to look them up. Desire Lines. Um they've done exhibitions, you know, at the beach, they do walking tours. Um, potential space just opened up at a Kennard's storage mm. space. So there's a lot of exciting stuff happening, but it is that they're not getting the coverage. Yeah. Uh, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Race Matters on FBI 94.5 right now. We have arts writer and arts worker Sumin Shim in the studio with us talking representation in arts writing and discourse. We'll be back to chat a little bit more after this by IU. It's called Orepam Iyaki.
that was IU with Odette Bam Iagi on FBI 94.5. You're listening to Race Matters with Georgia Mokak and Darren Lasagas. And we're joined in the studio by arts writer Sumin Shim to talk about the place of people of colour in arts criticism. Sumin, what was your introduction to arts writing? Um, so I have a lot to thank uh, to Runway uh, magazine. So that's another, I guess, independent publication. Uh, because I just pitched something randomly to them. It was an angry rant uh, against White Rabbit Gallery. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I had never published before, and they very kindly offered to take me on as a contributor. So so there are independent publications that are taking risks. They'll be like, there's this, you know, young woman of colour who's never published anything (laughs) in her life. Sure, let's, let's give her a chance. And so I have a lot to thank to independent publications uh, like that. Um, And I guess as well, though, um, it was at a point... I do worry, though, if it was at a point where, you know, identity was a trend, if that makes sense. So I'm still grappling with my imposter syndrome as um, a young writer of colour in terms of if I wasn't born in this time in this moment would I have had the opportunities I would have been given and um, I think a lot of young writers of color might feel that way which is kind of sad when you say identity as a trend do you mean that it was being talked about or dealt with in an art in a more explicit way than it was in the past uh I, no, I think it's like in terms of the KPIs right. again. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, identity has always been a thing. And Absolutely. I think in my writing, it will continue to always be a thing. Um, but I guess, yeah, I'm meaning it in terms of in a very tokenistic mm. way. Yeah. Was there a moment or, a, or like a catalyst where it became clear to you either throughout your studies or when you started arts writing, the disproportionate representation of art being made by people of colour? Oh, yeah, for sure. So um, I was the only person of colour throughout most of my classes in my university degree. Um, even now, I often only get asked to write about Asian art, um, which is another paradox that I'm always grappling with because I-, I want to write about Asian art, but also is that on my own terms? Mm. Will it ever be on my own terms when I live in this system that has basically indoctrinated me my whole life? So I think it will be a lifelong struggle. Um, but yeah, I knew very, very early on that I was, I was different. And, um, at first I guess it was really disheartening, but now I see that difference as, you know, a cause for celebration. And I have found a community and other people who are sharing the struggles, but it's taken me a number of years. And, um, yeah, I know that you have a lot of young listeners, so if you're out there, (laughs) keep going. Uh, recently, uh, we've seen programs that seem to bridge the geographic divide between inner city mainstream uh, institutions and those in Western Sydney, which uh, I guess if we're on the topic of trends, uh, has kind of been following a trend. Uh, what are some of, despite that, what are some of the success stories that you've seen in those initiatives? That's a very interesting question. Um, I just recently wrote about a show that was um, at Fairfield um, that had uh, Linda Brasier, Roselle Flatley and Justine Youssef and 
there are the big institutions like MCA and Art Gallery New South Wales that have Western Sydney programs. But again, just like race, it's the people who are authoring those programs don't really come from that community. And I think that's the problem. And so um, in terms of that, there's always been exciting stuff happening in those localities. Um, and I think the best exhibitions are in those areas and will have always been in those areas and again will continue to be in those areas as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, I find it really interesting when those state institutions or major institutions from the city want to sort of transplant themselves into the West. It's yeah, it's just such a funny dynamic and it just doesn't translate. Yeah, and I think as well what's really interesting is if you look at, you know, globally in other Western countries it happens. It's like a pattern that just replicates itself because it is ultimately it like comes down to settler colonial countries that have these hierarchies of power. So Australia is grappling with it, Canada, um, America, um, it, you know, wherever power exists, there's always going to be these weird and horrible hierarchies that need to be dismantled. Uh, Sumin, there's a question that we kind of lead up to uh, on every episode of Race Matters. And it's, a, it's kind of a big one, but for some people it's not that big because it's, it comes to them quite easily. But uh, Sumin, when did you realize there was power in your race? Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, that's still something that I struggle with a lot, actually. Um only recently, I want to say, I want to say it must have been last year when I actually started writing. And I think writing was a really important way for me to process a lot of my internal struggles. And I think that's the main difference between um, my writing and a lot of writing that I see from my white counterparts, because I always think about my audience and my audience is always going to be for people like me and for young people like me whilst a lot of workshops writing workshops that I've attended a lot of critics will say try to be objective don't bring in personal stories because they see themselves as authorities and gatekeepers but I think um recognizing um you know who I am and where I come from has meant that I can push against that in some way and recognizing that helped me feel more powerful about who I am today. That's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> wow. But yeah, only yeah, only last so. year. Yeah. Have you had young people come up to you and say like thank you or that they resonated with your work? Uh well, I guess cuz I'm young, maybe my peers, I don't know, but also I feel that way about my peers as well. I I would feel weird if someone yeah, did that. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to imply that you were like ancient or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no. I see me. I mean, inside I feel ancient, so it's fine. I get it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I would never want to be in that position where mm. someone would have to thank me for the work mm. that I'm doing. Like surely, you know, the aim is that diversity is no longer, you know, it has to be a thing. You know, I don't want young people to come up and be like, thank you. I want them to feel empowered and to thank themselves, you know. To continue the conversation. Mm, yeah. Mm, mm, mm. I think that's what I want. Yeah. I would also just not know how to respond to that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Um, speaking of uh, sort of newer pub publications that do promote people of colour writers, writers um, there's an event coming up in a couple of weeks that I know you wanted to talk a little bit about. Yeah, um, so on 2nd of July, I believe, on the Thursday, um, 
uh, Ecologies of Being is opening at Kudos Gallery and it's uh, being curated by Tanushri Saha and Naomi Sigal and um, in collaboration with Peril Magazine. And so, yeah, Peril Magazine is another independent arts publication that is um, completely run by Asian Australians. And I love the name. Like, it's a nod oh, to Yellow Peril. So good. Love so it. Good. And they cover not only visual arts, but music and theatre and everything. And I think that will be a really great example of what happens when it's not just the artists who are people of colour, but when the whole team... Um, involved a people of color which is pretty much exactly what we've been talking about for the past half hour this is it this is the moment exactly <laughs> i'm so excited yeah. we'll pop the details up for that uh online fbiradio.com just head to the race matters page uh sumin shim thank you so much for coming in uh, to talk with us thank you so much for having me again uh we'll go out with one more song this is yon t with yongwan Tegyo. And this is Race Matters on FBI 94.5. I'm Darren Lasagas. And I'm Georgia Mocat. We'll see you next week. Yeah, my thing, yo, it's a dance, so you need to